Welcome back to another episode of Lab Talks. I'm very happy to say I've been joined by Chorley and Chandru. It's been a while since the three of us were back on a podcast, so I'm very excited about that in general. I'm even more excited about the content we're going to be covering today. <clears throat> we, as some of you may know, we've been working with a publication called Exchange Wire. They are a very well-respected ad tech publication that help to demystify a lot of the complexities involved with programmatic marketing, the technology that provides those services, and the issues facing those services. And they very kindly um, did a survey where they asked people within the ad tech sector what they did or didn't know about Web3 and its applications to ad technology, to media buying, generally the buying and selling of ads online. But I think before we dive into the study, which I think will be released in accompaniment with this podcast, I think it probably makes sense for people that are listening that perhaps aren't that au fait with Web3, if we briefly discuss what it is. And I have done a few presentations now on this, so I'm happy to volunteer as usual. And I'll start talking, I probably won't stop. Um, but really for me, Web 1 was the ability to read information on the internet. Web 2 was the ability to write information on the internet. So liking, tweeting, writing blogs, so on and so forth. That is what really gave birth to a lot of the unicorns that exist now. Um, and then Web 3 has all of the features of Web 2. So the reading, the writing, but then it allows you to prove ownership, transfer ownership using the protocol. How did I do, guys? Yeah, good. I think um, the interesting thing about web3 is it really uh brings data and like monetary value together in a way that probably doesn't exist in web2 like you have payment rails that are quite separate from um from the actual transaction effectively if you use any payment system you go off the website that you're on in some capacity uh to make a payment to then um buy your goods or whatever it might be whereas obviously within web3 that those two things are integrated so you can execute on a smart contract and give monetary value to another person in the same transaction which is quite unique yeah so like a lot of people will say that crypto transactions take a long time to take place but i think what is often misunderstood is that transaction is completely settled which is not the case if you were to send money from your Monzo account to someone's Lloyd's TSB account, for example. Yeah, I don't don't think it's Lloyd's TSB anymore, but um, showing your age there, mate. <laughs> but yeah, essentially, so if you use uh, Monzo to Revolut or something, it looks like it's very fast, and that's kind of what open banking has allowed. But the actual settlement layer um, happens like months or like a month or weeks later. Um, so it's quite a lot slower than people think. So when people think about like Bitcoin and they think, oh yeah, it takes like half an hour to do a transaction or whatever, it's doing what in traditional markets takes weeks. So it's actually quite a lot faster than most people think. I think it's like quite an interesting uh, tidbit for the audience. It's a QI, if you will, um, is everyone knows what a 404 error is. It's like when you can't reach a server, a 405 error is payment not received. So the original internet protocol had that built in, but it never actually had the functionality to use it. So that's what's quite unique about crypto. It's called sort of complete the internet shout out sir tim for thinking yeah. about that nice <laughs> yeah uh, to add to that you know um web3 for me is where any user can become an active stakeholder and it's not just about being passive um passively receiving information or uh, 
contributing which is in a certain way active but to become an active uh, stakeholder to actually um, to become part of the exchange value exchange whether that's monetary or uh, otherwise uh, the otherwise being the data so that's what web3 brings in and associated with the data uh, are a lot of advantages which go beyond just the financial means so that one to put you on the spot if you had to summarize kind of what you think the main advantages are to a user for web3 what what would you say they were um the biggest one would be the ability to interact with uh with an application without actually identifying oneself um we know the kind of uh, issues that this is bringing especially with regulation around uh, uh privacy and so on and uh, there are a lot of applications where we wouldn't want to be identified with tracking cookies um with uh, with just people wanting to get access to information associated with a person with an individual uh i think that that goes away and that i think is one of the biggest advantages not to mention other uh, advantages like you know the the ability to actually use a single login a single wallet uh to to gain access to different applications the use of nfts to gain utilities uh multiple of them but for me the one that stands out is the ability to interact with an application without actually identifying oneself I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because Apple have rolled out something so and maybe not just Apple but I have an iPhone. Um you can when you sign up to certain apps you can use like a one-time use email address which I think is similar to what you said the issue you have there is that ultimately Apple have tied your email address to multiple use email addresses or single use email addresses so they are still kind of the honey part of that information whereas in web3 you the individual are the only person that knows that that's your wallet unless you use like an ens domain where you give it a name but yeah it does allow you to interact with apps with you can being sovereign of your data i think is like the important point to make there which is a lot of what the gdpr has tried to address is the fact that people's data was being used when they weren't aware of it and being used to make what is quite a lot of money so i think that probably leads us quite nicely um into the exchange why study i mean particularly that use case we've talked about it a lot but the there's a lot of advances in technology that are allowing people to sign in with ethereum um again that gives you a pseudo anonymous wallet address that you are in control of that you have access to whether that connects to a particular website or not which is very very similar to the way that cookie notices work now but you are giving permission rather than consent which is i think makes much more sense when you're online So we will go to the first point or the first question um that was posed by Exchange Wire and that is what is the most common barrier to web3? Going to jump around quickly. Yeah, uh, I think that's quite interesting because the the sort of perceived barriers to entry are not necessarily for us what we see from uh being close to the to the industry. I think there's a lot of talk about metaverses in there which um you know, it was a good thing for the industry when uh Facebook changed its name to Meta because like it does it did really like start the firing gun on what is going to eventually be a, a very big industry mm-hmm. um but also just the concept of metaverses then opens up a whole can of worms so it's like you think that social media is bad for safety of like users safety of data all the rest of it 
then a 4D version of that has to be worse, <laughs> almost. Like, so there's there's quite a lot in there around um, safety, like as well. So I, I just think for brands, they've spent a long time building up their brand image and like how they are perceived by their users. So the idea that they're going to then move into a metaverse where um, there's there's not the right kind of uh, like regulation around it or anything like that and they're effectively could be devaluing their brands i can see how that would be quite a big concern for them um but the other thing to think is facebook slash meta has like basically reversed all of that stuff that they did so it probably goes to show that it was a bit early but also that maybe um metaverses aren't going to be quite the thing that everyone thought they would be i I know we talked about this before but the difference between vr and ar and yeah. it strikes me that the metaverses that are built, being built so far have been uh, VR, and really, like that's probably not what's going to win out. Yeah, I think it's interesting that that is congruent with the findings from Exchange Wire because thirty three percent cited uncertainty regarding future use cases is the most common barrier to Web three use, and I would say that probably that is why Meta made the decisions they made initially. But now they are perhaps uncertainty <laughs> have some uncertainty about what their metaverse might be used for. Um, I think <clears throat> that is, again, one of the reasons why we do this podcast, why we try and talk to people in the industry is to provide some certainty specifically around using blockchain infrastructure to deliver ads online and the improvements that makes to the existing process. And again, people that were surveyed saw the application of Web3 infrastructure to programmatic media buying as something that was very favorable. So what we mean by that really is lower fees, increased transparency, and then reduced emissions. I think Chanju is the, the genius behind it. Maybe it makes sense for you to kind of talk to those three points as to why these media buyers are getting very excited about solving those issues and how we're making that possible with Alchemy Exchange. Sure, Ben. Um, these three points have always been the pain points of the ad industry. You know, uh, with uh, with inefficient supply chains, uh, with too many hops between the buyer and the seller, and uh, with not really um, a transparent mechanism of knowing how much a person or how much a party is paying or how much the other party is receiving. It all leads to uh, quite a lot of um, inefficient emissions both in terms of uh, um, power and also in terms of fees. And in order to hide all of these um, drop in revenues and in power comes the hiding of data or um, lack of transparency. So all of these have been pain points of the ad industry for quite a long time. And the way Alchemy is um, ensuring that we handle all of these uh, issues is by using uh, the underlying blockchain technology, which is actually uh, the, the, the DAC technology that we use, and using that to ensure that any ad transaction, any ad auction that is conducted by Alchemy Exchange is validated by a, a network of decentralized nodes so there is there are minimum hops between the buyer and the seller and whatever is actually bid on by the buyer is validated is captured on the blockchain is is captured on the ledger and um, that goes through the validation process so there is complete transparency we also ensure that there is a data set that is um, kept off the chain and 
we ensure that the hash values are recorded on the chain to provide complete auditability as well. So what would essentially have been close to a 50% drop in ad tech tax is being reduced to a fraction, which means that the publishers would have to show a reduced amount of ads in order to achieve the same revenue figures. And that would then also ensure that the users are targeted with less number of ads and that would eventually eventually give rise to or eventually lead to uh, less less green emissions as well. Yeah, there's one that I'd kind of like to highlight as kind of showing the lack of knowledge versus like the reality of the situation. So there's uh, 26% uh, thought the environmental impact of Web3 technologies was a barrier to entry. And what's interesting about that is obviously there's been you know, Greenpeace have, uh, I mean, they were at Cannes last year talking about uh, emissions within the ad industry, but then they have also gone on uh, to attack Bitcoin's uh, use of CO2. But uh, in reality, I think it's something like 68% of all Bitcoin is mined using renewable energy, which is way higher than any nation state. So there's those kind of things where it's like, it's quite an easy stick to to beat the industry with but really uh the reality is it's much better than anything else that is around at the moment in terms of uh like energy efficiency um so it's and that is obviously a, a big big thing for alchemy is that we are there to try and reduce all of those dependencies which in turn will reduce uh reliance on centralized servers which uh, again emit a lot of co2 you know, again, some of those are probably using renewables, but it's a bit hard to know for most people. Um, but by building that, um, building the network that we've built by running on nodes, we can see which node validated which transaction, which means we can tell you how much CO2 was used to validate that transaction, which I think make, is a unique within the industry, but is also kind of counterintuitive to this um, idea that there's an environmental impact for Web3 technologies. Yeah, there's actually um, on ethereum.org, there's a really interesting stat around the annual energy consumption in terawatt hours per year. So YouTube uses 244 terawatt hours a year. Proof of work Ethereum was 78. And proof of stake Ethereum is 0.0026. So that, I mean, YouTube is a streaming platform. It is very heavy, but is there's a lot of ads on YouTube. Um, so the fact that there is that enormous difference, my math is going to let me down for how many times less that is, but a significant number of times, <laughs> thousands, if not tens of thousands times less energy is being used by the entire EVM than just YouTube. Yeah. And then it still does come down to the sources of the power that you're using, yeah. right? And I think that's the, again, something that is not well known within the industry now. I know Scope 3 are trying to um, audit a lot of the processes that go on, uh, but then... In any given day, the UK will use a very diverse mix of energy sources and therefore mm. like, it's kind of impossible for you to know. So as much as it's great that everybody's kind of thinking about these things um, and doing everything they can to reduce it, the perception versus reality is quite large, uh, especially within the Web3 environment. Absolutely. And also any amount of reduced ads will lead to saving. Yep. Uh, and that is irrespective of where that power comes from, whether that's green energy or not, just reducing the amount of ads that are displayed to the user um, and making sure that the ads are relevant to the user, making sure that l even the lesser number of ads result in the same revenue, making sure that the lesser number of ads gives the brands the same kind of reach that they want to, 
So there is efficiency all over. So the users are not being targeted by uh, unwanted ads, irrelevant ads, more number of ads which are intrusive, thereby delivering value to all three parties here, not just the publishers and the brands, but also for the users. Yeah, it's that kind of argument against uh, recycling. It's like the best well, the best thing to do is just to not use per, uh, single-use plastics in the first place. So it's that kind of that same theory, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is interesting. So there's another great resource, which is the Web Almanac, which talks in depth about JavaScripts and the way the internet works. And this is probably about a year old, this stat, but I would say it's largely the same. But the top 100 websites, if they reduced the amount of third-party JavaScript they were running on site, would yield a 4% increase in the internet in general for everyone. A lot of those third-party JavaScripts are for social logins, for ads, um, amongst other really useful things like returning to the same part of the page you just loaded. But largely, a lot of that is taken up by ads and social logins. So again, you'd see significant performance improvements for just using the internet, which again was... One thing that was highlighted in the Exchange Wire study is that the application of Web3 to programmatic media buying would improve user experiences. And that's kind of really what led in the GDPR in 2018 was that the internet was a mess of ads. Some websites still are, but just kind of flagrant use of JavaScript has led to a significant amount of energy used. A lot of those JavaScripts are serving ads. So by yeah, having there be fewer ads because people that are selling them or buying them are getting more value for it has the net net of improving the user experience online for everyone that uses the internet yeah that was a good classic from the first album that you just uh, brought Thanks, out mate. The, yep. uh, but i mean it <laughs> goes to show that the um <laughs> the, no one ever judges meta for the uh, co2 use like consumed by the like button i mean they made up a whole metric around it and just the, the amount of javascript that was used to to implement the like button to prove that campaigns had a value um was just insane but you know didn't know that didn't even think about that it's crazy just my evenings reading sorted right <clears throat> we shall move on what are some of the challenges and barriers to widespread adoption of Web3 technology? And Chandra, I'm going to come to you first. The biggest challenge that I can think of that is a barrier to the adoption of Web3 technology is um, education about what the technology is all about. Because I think there is a, a misconception that Web3 technology is only cryptocurrency. So not a lot of people actually realize the power of the blockchain technology and what and how it can be used to make our everyday lives better. So um, I think there is a big uh, responsibility on the Web3 community really to actually educate um, and, and ensure that any applications that are developed on the Web3 technology are more adoptable. Um, they meet the market where they are. And I know we say this a lot, but um, there needs to be a gradual transition from where people are to where uh, the market is moving. That is there, is, there needs to be a transition between Web 2 to Web 3. And that comes by uh, education, by uh, ensuring that uh, all stakeholders are involved in building products that meet the market where they are, and then slowly making that transition. If we just build products which are way different from the from the way the products are uh, used today, then I think there will be a, a high barrier to entry. 
So I think uh, the the two most important points that I'd like to raise is one is education, and the second is building products that meet the market where they are, and then make that slow journey from Web two to Web three. Surely, do you think um, as our in house NFT expert, NFTs had a big role to play in the average person knowing a more about blockchain and then b using blockchains? Yeah, I think they're kind of because you can at least look at it. <laughs> it's got a bit more going for it. Um, but also it is, we, I mean, we talk about it sometimes and it's not to disparage anyone in the NFT market, but it is kind of like uh, crypto for dummies because you buy one and it has a value rather than, oh yeah, I've got to buy a certain amount of these tokens compared to the market cap. Like, what's that mean? Blah, blah, blah. You just go, oh yeah, this one's got cool traits that are rarer than other traits. It's quite a lot easier for people to grasp that concept. Um, and then, yeah, the kind of community element around it. There are communities in the crypto space, but they're probably a bit harder to get into. They're probably a little bit less friendly because they're sort of, you know, amateur traders, really. Um, so there's a lot of kind of shit posting that goes on and name calling and all the all those fun things. But I think within the sort of NFT community, it's quite a lot easier to create a vibe. I think is probably the best way to do it because the price doesn't really matter as much in a, in a kind of perverse way. So when you, you're looking at other cryptos going up and, you're, and people are just jumping ship quite quickly, whereas within the NFT space, there's a higher degree of loyalty and engagement, um, which is obviously an advantage for that, uh, especially within Web3. Um, and when you're looking at marketing as well, to like try and in, in engage users in your product through uh whatever it might be a reward mechanism or just you know something that gets them extra utility uh gets them closer to your brand that is a lot easier for people to get on board with than a coin that has a potential future application and a really long white paper that you've got to read that kind of tells you about how they're gonna do something that's gonna solve a problem in the real world which is kind of a lot more boring and a lot more like real business an- analysts um, might do. So, yeah, within the NFT space, it's way it's it's just a bit friendlier and a bit kind of fluffier and cozier and easier to get on with. I think. Yeah, I think it's much easier to create a brand with NFTs than it is with a particular token, right? Because as you said, it might be that your NFT has a particular puffer jacket or a hat or a a, a trait that you like. And I think that, yeah, that is much more obvious than having to read a white paper and understand what the application of a certain technology has to a particular market, the use case, the issues with it, the advantages. You know, there's a lot more assumed knowledge, I think, with tokens than there is with NFTs. And I think that is why you started to see brands that already have a very, very good brand value see the benefits that come with NFT communities. You know, like the following behind, like Doodles, for example, is fanatical and they were able to get someone like Pharrell Williams to come on as their, think see their brand officer or music officer or something yeah, like that. Yeah, creative officer, I think, yeah. Because it, it's very obvious how you can convert his skills into something that has a very, very strong branding in the doodles they do some amazing activations in person they've had like doodle factories they've had events at south by southwest and ftmyc it's like you can create they already have a world they create a physical world and people love that like you've only got to look at harry potter 
where people loved the books and then people really started getting into it when there was Harry Potter world and then the films and then the Legos, you know, it's like that is a very well-trodden route that brands can use. <clears throat> but with NFTs, because you, the holder of the NFT, do own a part of that particular brand, the connection made between the the user of that brand and the brand itself is much, much stronger because they feel that shared ownership, which is only really bring us back to the point made at the beginning that you own your nft your token in web3 that's not true in web2 so it creates a deeper connection with a brand which i think is where you're seeing nike and adidas really lean into it yeah and i think as well it's like quite generational i mean we grew up playing computer games but i think you know what only like less than half of our consoles could connect to the internet, which is probably a bit sad to say. But, you know, there's a, there's a whole generation of people who have grown up playing computer games online, collecting digital, like, assets effectively uh, that they attributed some value to. Um, obviously, like, you know, with tokens, that's a bit more difficult. Like, you know, it has a digital asset value, but, you know, you can't do other cool stuff with it, like run around in a computer game and let all your other mates see it. It's, you know, those kind of things of being able to get kudos online is also something that I think NFTs have really, like, brought to the space um, in a way that, you know, you can't really do with token economics. I agree, and, like made a lot of money they made 186 million dollars from their nfts which and the same again on the secondary market yeah this which is, is like insane that. right like it's a whole new line of profit that brands can now make while sharing experiences that they perhaps couldn't do starbucks done the same thing you know i think that they had their original stamps that they offered were a hundred dollars some of them are trading for a thousand two thousand three thousand dollars and Starbucks take a percentage of every future sale. So it's allowed their marketing program, which was always a cost center by giving stuff away for free, they can start to get some of those costs back, offer better prizes, discounts, loyalty bonuses, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I think that is another another um, key point that the respondents of this survey said was a great application, was the ability to reward brand loyalty in a way that is difficult to do. Um, I mean, even if you think about like discount code fraud, where like if you want to buy something online, you Google a discount code. They're normally for people that have signed up via email for their first basket and they get 10% off their order. But if there's a code that you can apply, that brand is now losing 10% of every basket value because people are using discount codes when perhaps they hadn't earned them. And I think an NFT provides gating to that, which will be better for brands in general. They can make more money um, from their consumers in in exchange for creating good products, we hope. But yeah, it provides a much nicer way for them to be more controlled in what they're offering to people that actually interact with their brand and say build that kind of community that you get around NFTs. Absolutely. You know, uh, this has, uh, again, been another uh, big pain point, especially from uh, the days when I, I remember... Uh, um, we used to have these uh, security cards in set of boxes where, uh, you know, you could only watch a football match when you had the necessary credentials on the card. And uh, it would so happen that people would swap the cards. There were all sorts of frauds that would happen. Uh, and that was a big, it would burn a big hole in, in the revenue. 
um, but with NFTs, with uh, with people wanting to own NFTs and those NFTs being within their wallets, this has uh, you know literally eliminated the 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 type of frauds where people could exchange discount codes, could exchange these cards, could exchange their uh, username passwords. You know that that's a a big advantage that uh, Web three has brought. Yeah, exactly. And if you think that one thing that is quite common in um, digital marketing is this idea of last click attribution. So if your ad was the last ad that was clicked on before a sale, you particular business got the proceeds or whatever it was, the share of the basket from that particular sale. And I think where Google has done very well in having a search engine is that you may have seen an ad on a website, not done anything at the time, but then you're like, oh, okay, I'm actually now I'm at home. I'm going to buy those trainers. You go into Google click the first link, buy the trainers. So then Google has got your, or the money for the last attribution. But really, if there was a way to just log into the internet with a Web3 wallet, which is what Brave were trying to do, or are trying to do. But using a Web3 wallet as your login, as you said earlier, Chandri, would allow the last click attribution to be much fairer to the respective technology or brand or publisher or whoever it was that, yielded that sale from that particular ad and just create a better distribution across the people that are spending money on advertising rewarding them for doing so and then ultimately yeah you'd have fewer ads online because the ads are more effective more of the people are getting paid for creating that sale having done the work for it so they don't have to spam you with more ads to try and be that last one um they get rewarded for and i think again you could probably get very intricate with like storing time spent on a particular ad unit and then splitting up the total share between the time spent as tracked by the wallet. And again, because it's immutable, because it's on chain, you could very easily reconcile that and ensure that the right people are getting paid for the right amount. And then also use the same protocol to pay those individuals, right? It's like can all be done because everything is tied to that wallet, that marker, and then again, because you can transfer value, improve ownership using a blockchain, you can use those same rails to reward people for purchasing or showing the ad or delivering it. You know, I've said it a few times now, but yeah, it just makes everything much, much more efficient when you're able to use these Web3 rails versus what's existed in Web2. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, there's there's a, a world of advantage that uh, that not only publishers, brands, uh, users can take advantage of. Exactly that. Um, so I won't. I don't think we should share any more because there is a, a thirty-page research report, which is very interesting. We were all been stealing tidbits. You can probably see as we're looking at our computers. Um, but we will be sharing this. I recommend you read it. It's really interesting. The team at Exchange, where I've done a really great job putting this data together. Um, and yeah, I would like to thank my co-hosts for another podcast on the books. Well done, Charlie. Well done, Chandru. Um, and yeah. We'll see you next time. See you, everyone.